Welcome back to Yes X or No Audio. It is Sunday morning, half past five AM, October fifteenth, two thousand and twenty-three. And as they say, OMG. The question is, where do you start the clock? And the natural thing to do is to go back to the beginning of the US Neo Imperium at the end of the Second World War. The creation of the UN the World Bank, the IMF, the dismemberment of the British Imperium and the French Imperium, a fascinating period between 1945 and 1960. And during that, of course, is the creation of the State of Israel. I would, however, like to throw in a more recent date, and that is the assassination by the US of Iranian Quds Force General Soleimani. For that event solidified the term axis of resistance, which, of course, in itself is a play on the bullshittery phrase by Bush Jr., axis of evil. So who are the axis of resistance? From the thickest end of the wedge to the thinnest, they are Iran, uh, followed by their mutual defence treaty ally, Syria, followed by Hezbollah in Lebanon, followed by the thinnest edge of the wedge, Hamas in Gaza. So the success that Hamas had in fighting a force with, by repute, the best military intelligence service in the world, and that armed forces received $4 billion of stuff from the US military industrial complex every year managed to pull off an outstanding result. And it reminds me of the line from the end of the Sex Pistols song. You know, they went over the wall and through the wall and under the wall. <laughs> it's outst oh, I'm flabbergasted to use an Australian phrase. Anyway, on with the show. The usual script. Anti-war headlines, what other people are saying, and some stuff from Yes, X or No. Anti-war headlines. There's a new section this week, so we're starting with Ukraine. There's one article. Germany announces $1.1 billion arms package for Ukraine. The reason that's a standalone article is because I've created a new section called US slash military industrial complex. And I want you to focus on what happens in time. Remember, this is from past to current in headlines because at the beginning of the week, the priority shifted for the funding, the allocation of funds for the distribution of US arms. And the Congress had to work with this. So here we go. A desperate White House is scrambling to find money for arming Ukraine. That's the sixth. Report Biden considering huge $100 billion Ukrainian spending package. That's the eighth. U.S. scrambles to get more arms to Israel. That's the ninth. U.S. announces $200 million arms package for Ukraine. That's the eleventh. White House plans to request military aid for Israel, Ukraine and Taiwan. 
that's the 11th, US, sorry, Ukraine receives $1.15 billion in direct budgetary aid from US. That's the 12th. So that's that section. And now to the Middle East. Turkish warplanes strike US allied Kurds in Syria. Remember, that's still going on. US Qatar agreed to deny Iran access to $6 billion of its funds. Of course, this echoes all the shit that we've seen before. The $2 billion of gold that the Bank of England stole from Venezuela. The $7 billion that the US stole from the Afghanistan Central Bank. The God knows how many billion they stole from Russia's central bank's uh, foreign fund. They're at it again. They're stealing money. <sighs> anyway, this one's a classic. I'm going to rewrite this headline. Just give me a minute. Israeli airstrikes cripple Syria's two main airports. The rewrite is Israel uses US supplied warplanes to illegally attack Syria, damaging two civilian airports. And this is the 26th time an equivalent act has happened between Israel and Syria this year, and we're in week 41. Moving on. New York Times. US intelligence shows Iranian leaders were surprised by Hamas' attack. And now, the rest of the headlines are all to do with the new section with the title of Palestine slash Israel. And I'll just rip through these. Over 1,000 dead. Israel Prime Minister says we are at war after Hamas attacks by land, air and sea. Biden speaks with Netanyahu. It says Israel has right to, quote, defend self-defense. Republican McCall says a House speaker is needed to replenish Israel's Iron Dome. Biden tells Netanyahu more military aid is on its way. Israel says it has no evidence Iran was involved in Hamas attack. US deploys aircraft carrier strike group to support Israel, which it can't support at all. <laughs> anyway, there's another classic comment from, from Ria. It's like, how's that going to help? Israeli law, lawmaker says pogroms against Palestinians provoked Hamas attack. No shit, Sherlock. US officials expect Israel to launch ground invasion of Gaza. Israel announces complete siege of Gaza, says they're fighting human animals. That's in quotes. Egypt says Israel ignored warning that something big was coming. Blinken deletes tweet encouraging ceasefire between Israel and Hamas. And that might take title of the week award. That's brilliant. <laughs> Blinken X is an X. <laughs> Next tweet, whatever. Senator Schumer lectures Xi on China's response to Israel-Hamas fighting. Pentagon offers Israel support for extracting hostages from Gaza. Good luck with that. Netanyahu tells Biden, we have to go into Gaza. Rules out negotiations. Egypt's border closing with Gaza closed off as Palestinians have nowhere to flee. U.S.-Israeli lawmakers call for genocide of Palestinians in Gaza. Well done, Dave DeCamp. Great headline. U.S. might send second aircraft carrier group to support Israel. Another great headline from Dave. Republican McCall confirms that Egypt warned Israel before Hamas attack. Senator Graham says, We're in a religious war. Calls to level Gaza. Gaza's only power plant out of fuel as Israeli airstrikes pound enclave. 
poll. Majority of Israelis blame government for Hamas attack. Wah! Well done. <laughs> Probably the wrong way of blaming, but anyway. Blinken, as, quote, as long as America exists, end quote, it will support Israel. Israel says no humanitarian aid into Gaza until captives released. End of anti-war headlines. In the uh, What Other People Had to Say section, uh, there's about 26, 28 articles or references in there. And it's too long. And it also stresses the crap out of me. So I'm just going to read you the list of authors and then the list of people interviewed. And the first author is, of course, Mr. Fish, the graphic artist. So he's up front. Mr. Fish, Caitlin Johnston, Scott Ritter, Chris Hedges, Ray McGovern, Jake Johnson, Phyllis Bennis, People's Dispatch, Jonathan Cook, Sam Hassani, Bernard of Moon of Alabama, Alan McLeod, Larry Johnson, Kit Clarenberg, Craig McGurry, <laughs> Craig Murray, and Ramsey Baroud. And people interviewed are John Pilger, Ilan Pape, Miko Pelled, Triestino, Mariniello and Alastair Crook. I hope you enjoy the articles and or interviews. In the section where I'm meant to be picking some article that I wrote during the week and talking about that, I'm going to extemporise on a whole bunch of stuff. So the first thing is that the re-emergence of this conflict has set a cat amongst the pigeons. Let's put it that way. Firstly, this huge list of publications from very knowledgeable people have revealed a very wide array of responses to this. So we've got people like Patrick Lawrence talking about humanity and understanding the consequences of your actions, and I'll throw that article in. I forgot about that one. We've got the beautiful case of, of Ray McGovern quoting Deuteronomy at the, at the religious Jews. We've got Phyllis Bennis rolling out the international law stuff forever. We've got Chris Hedges speaking of his experience in war and relating the story of this this Jew who was the second in command for uh, during the Warsaw uprising against the Nazis that basically created a you know a concentration camp out of the ghetto and these people all thought they were going to die and so they were you know whatever we'll, we'll fight who cares we're going to die anyway and that of course is exactly what's happening in Gaza. So it's interesting to see the collection of different responses. I wouldn't be surprised if you're at least as stressed out by this as I am. I have an idea about how to end this damn thing. It's, of course, very, very difficult. But before we get to that, there's a section at the bottom of uh, others called Everything Else. And the first is uh, Russia closing a noose on Ukrainian troops by Larry Johnson, which we'll return to in a moment. And the other is... Is the Intercept a deep state success story? Which is quite interesting. So this is Ramos and Jones interviewing uh, Kiriakou. I'm interested in this because this is what I've thought from way back when. Essentially, if you look at what the Intercept did, it was set up with funds from Pierre uh, Obmedia, uh, who made his money in the dot-com boom and so forth. And basically what, they, what happened was that it was used to hoover up all of the big data revelations that came out. So first of all, it's the archives from Snowden, and then it's the stuff from uh, 
the he sets up this consortium of independent journalists and they get all of the data out of the financial scandals to make sure that they suppress all of the stuff to do with US people and etc. You look at the history of what uh, of the data gathering and control mechanism behind the intercept. Not to say there aren't great journalists there. There have been uh, and probably still are. But behind it is about data control of these really large data leaks. So this is Omidia doing a, a favour for his mates, right, in the, uh, in the billionaire class. So it'd be interesting to say, I haven't listened to the interview yet, but I hope that that's the sort of the area they get to. It's a data control mechanism is really what uh, Intercept was about. Um, and that relates a little to the article, one of the articles this week from Yes, X or No, which was... Uh, an investigation of that uh, Iran Wins article, which was published at, Contour, at The Conversation and then republished by 16 other outlets, one of which was the Australian Broadcasting Corporation, which pissed me off no end. So I ripped the thing to pieces, as you'd expect. However, the point of that was that it wasn't the, the, um, the author of this that I wanted to go after, because there are some good sources in there. So it's obvious that this person is doing a PhD. Yes, they want to work for the US Air Force's military intelligence, and fair enough, you know, whatever. At least what he's doing is starting out by trying to actually understand some of the detailed history of the Middle East, and for that, I take my hat off. So I got pissed off, not at him, but at the editor who republished this stuff, and I'm going to be following that up in a series to come. So to return to the Ukraine uh, article, Russia closing the noose on Ukrainian troops by Larry Johnson, that's, in my view, part of a greater issue. So what's happening right now is a big diversion of attention for the failing hegemon. So what does that mean? That creates an opportunity for the other world players, i.e. China, Russia, etc., you know, the BRICS slash SEO groups, to start to do things whilst the US and, and its NATO vassals are busy. So I believe that if one watches what happens in the background over the next month or two, it'll be interesting to see. I would expect that these... If you look at them... So Russia and China are the main players there. So what does Russia have? Russia has um, very good diplomatic service, and if you've been watching the ball recently, you'll have seen that there's been a lot of people going to Moscow to have diplomatic discussions. So their ability to manoeuvre is diplomatic. China, on the other hand, has a puck ton of money, and have got, they've got the big BRI project they're working on. So they will be, in my view, taking this pause in US attention on them to continue that process. So at the, on the political front, through BRICS and so forth, I would expect a bit of an increased focus on uh, South America, Latin America. So Venezuela, Cuba, Chile, what the hell happened there recently, uh, Nicaragua, etc. So I expect a little bit more focus that way whilst the US is busy. That's, and that, uh, that obviously is something that, that BRICS delegates to Brazil, right? The other one will be looking at stuff that's going on in Asia that's being a, a trouble for China in terms of the BRI project. So that will be stuff like the trouble that the CIA was causing in Baluchistan. Right? They want that port built. Again, what's going on in Afghanistan? How can they, they you know, smooth that out? And again, discussions with Kazakhstan. What's happening there? How are we doing, guys? The same stuff with the, the North-South Corridor that, that is connecting Russia into Iran, right? The Caspian Sea. What's happening there? How are they going to control 
um, or facilitate that rail connection and then um, uh, sea connection across the Caspian Sea. This is the sort of stuff I expect to go down. Whilst the hegemon's busy um, supporting its uh, Israeli protectorate, what the hell does everyone else get up to? The other thing, of course, is what goes on in Africa. Uh, but, the, yeah, I, I really don't have enough background and knowledge to comment on that. But this is what I would be looking at. What goes on in Asia, Africa and, and South America whilst all of this stuff plays out. I'm sorry. I'm nowhere near as traumatised by this as the people who are there. But people who have been following this for a long time are traumatised by it from a distance. It's that bad. I think that we should come up with a solution to this problem. I think everyone's been thinking about this, and I think they're thinking about it in entirely the wrong way. So the suggestion that a friend of mine made to me was that some area around Jerusalem should be... And it's an old, I think, an old UN idea, that it should become sort of a UN protectorate, you know, so that it's not... Da, da, da. And that's so along the right ideas, but I think that we need to really nail this one to the ground. And it goes like this... The area that was divided to create Israel, i.e. the original Palestine, the entire area, including the 12 nautical miles offshore, is to become no state. No one is to be born there. You need to pick a time when this is to be implemented, five years, whatever it is, and the rest of the world has to go, right, there's going to be X number of million refugees, and they have to. everyone has to commit to accept the refugees. Right? This is how it's going to go. Some Countries might say no, fair enough. Other plenty will say yes, right? We'll take the refugees. And everybody has to leave. All of them. Nobody is to be born there. There are to be no citizens of this state. The land is to be devoid of the joy of children. There shall be no agriculture. There shall be no industry. There shall be nothing. It shall revert to its natural state, with the exception of a collection of historical monuments which are able to be maintained and people can argue about that and so forth fair enough but it shall be a bit brutal if you want to be there to maintain these pieces of infrastructure that's fine but it's a fixed term you can't be there for longer than 10 years in your entire natural life that's it boom you know two stretches of five years near whatever the people will come up with the rules some shit like this you are not to live there long term no children are to be born there no agriculture, no nothing. The thing shall just revert except for these reserved historic monuments which shall be preserved. And that's it. It's meant to be like serving in government. It's meant to be unpleasant. You do it because it's important and it has to be done and you believe in it. And then you've done your job and you move on. Same idea. No joy of children. No playing in the olive groves. None of that. People can go there to visit. It's like a museum. It's not a museum. It's a mausoleum. It's a monument to remind us to never, ever do this shit again and know that we have to compromise. We have to make do. We have to make way for one another. And this can be an example, a part of the planet that is significant to all three of the great monotheistic religions and it becomes no state no children it's a dry tomb a mausoleum this is how it can be solved and you might say that's a horrible punishment to deliver on the palestinians or the israelis or the whatever and i say yes 
but think what a gift it could be to us. Big sacrifice by them, but what a gift to give to humanity, to give up this place for it to serve as a reminder to never do this shit again. And when I say, I think it should maybe be able to be resettled, but not for 300 years, something like that. No children to be born there for 300 years. Then maybe we can all have a chat about it again and decide how we want to do it better. Until next time. Mm -hmm.